This is Hadi Sadati with the 2021 Embodied Intelligence Workshop Offline Interviews. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Sonia Roberts. What is embodied intelligence? Is that achievable through the body and or brain? Embodied intelligence can mean a few things. Um, first, there's this sense that a robot has to be able to be in control of what it's sensing by using its own actions. Uh, for example, if you want the robot to make sense of a visual scene, it would have to be able to move its own camera around to see different things, or maybe move the camera itself around physically to get different views. Um, in order to gain intelligence in some way, it would have to be able to actively perceive the environment and make decisions about what to sense next and how to get those samples, rather than just receive information through a fixed sensor. But there's another aspect of embodied intelligence that's more interesting to me personally, which is the sense that um, an intelligent robot might be able to offload some of that intelligence to its body. For example, when we as humans run, there's a lot of intelligence that's hard-coded in the kinematics of our limbs, the springiness of our tendons, tension of our muscles, um, as well as, of course, the more local coordination by uh, nerves in our muscles that happens below our conscious awareness. And, of course, when we build a legged robot and program that to run, we can offload a lot of the control to the morphology of the robot. Um, the Rex robot uh, which I worked with at the University of Pennsylvania, has six C-shaped legs that rotate around a motor at the hip. Whenever the C of that leg makes contact with the ground, that contact point can act like the robot's foot. The robot can rotate over that contact um, just as if the, the point of contact had been intelligently chosen, even though there's no conscious, intelligent foot placement. Um, this is actually very similar to the way that cockroaches run. Their legs and feet are very rough. They have a lot of little sticky outy bits. Um, and if the, if the cockroach is running and happens to stick its foot through a crack, um, without having to do any sort of correction, one of those sticky outy bits catches along the side of the crack and the, and the, the animal is able to keep moving forward without a problem. Again, no intelligence, no careful foot placement, um, just, good morphology. What is the missing piece in understanding intelligence? I think we have too narrow an understanding of what intelligence is and how it could be instantiated. Uh, we as humans are really very focused on brains as the seat of intelligence, but I think it's interesting to consider a more distributed system that has multiple nodes of local control that are coordinated according to some rules, or um, control that's implemented partially in the body, or control that acts on different parts of a, a whole behavior instead of one behavior being controlled uh, in kind of a top-down way. There are different situations where you might want different kinds of control. Um, for example, if you need to be able to do something differently in response to changes in the environment, you might want a behavior that's more plastic. You might want to, uh, to use learning to associate a couple of stimuli together to, to get you to be able to respond appropriately. But it might be more important in other circumstances um, to prioritize robustness over a faster timescale, in which case you might want to offload some of that uh, intelligence to the morphology of the robot. Um, and use that, that sense of embodiment, actually use the body of the robot 
to get more intelligent behavior. So I would really like to see us as roboticists increase the range of modes of intelligence that we work with, um, including mechanisms under this umbrella of intelligence. Uh, using more reactive control that has no memory, or using controllers with only short-term memory, uh, as well as using controllers with long-term memory or that create complex representations like maps. Um, I, I'd like to see us elevate all of these uh, ways of creating intelligence to more of a similar level and respect them all as, uh, as modes of intelligence that can coordinate to create a whole robot with behavioral flexibility and robustness in the way that we really want when we talk about intelligence. What is the most inspiring living creature from your perspective in the scope of embodied intelligence? I'm inspired by a lot of animals, but I'm most inspired right now by octopuses, ants, and tardigrades. Um, the octopus has a fairly distributed nervous system, and there's not really evidence that they use complex cognitive mechanisms instead of just coordinating simple controllers really well. Um, but that said, anecdotally, when we observe them solving complex puzzles and behaving really flexibly and using curiosity, they really seem to have complex cognition and they really seem intelligent in a way that feels both alien and uniquely human. Um, maybe not, you know, intelligent to the same level as humans, but still with, with some level of playful curiosity that does feel human to us. And what this tells me is that if we want to build intelligent robots, that have the same level of behavioral flexibility as an octopus, we don't necessarily need an artificial general intelligence to do it. We might just need well-coordinated, robust, simple controllers, um, possibly even distributed simple controllers that have some loose hierarchical structure. Ants inspire me for a similar reason. Um, they're less behaviorally flexible than octopuses, but they're still really very good at what they do. Uh, which is going out to forage, finding food, and then bringing it back to the nest. There's a lot of evidence that they do this by coordinating a lot of simple, very robust controllers. But we still, as roboticists, have struggled to build robots that are as robust and reliable at even this simple task as an ant. Tardigrades inspire me because they coordinate locomotion with eight soft legs in a soft body using only 200 neurons. Um, I don't know whether more control is needed to locomote in a soft body versus a harder body, but there's been at least a little bit of talk about how you could offload some aspects of your cognition more easily to a body that, that has rigid parts where you can, uh, you can easily use, uh, for example, the length of your legs to measure your environment. And they can't do anything like that. We don't know how complex their behavior really is, so I should be careful in what I say, because uh, they're not as well studied as some other model organisms. But their ability to get so much done, even just living in their tiny little microscopic world with so few neurons, only 200 neurons, is amazing. And that's inspiring to me. What are the challenges, limitations, and technological roadblocks for achieving embodied intelligence? One challenge for, for building embodied intelligences is power density. 
and the types of actuators that we have readily available for researchers to use. Currently, the cheapest and most widely available forms of actuation either have very low power density or would be very difficult for a robot to modify for different kinds of environments, um, whether because of physical limits or power drainage problems. For example, I use a direct drive legged robot for my research, um, which is a robot that has no gearboxes on its motors. So to change the stiffness of this robot's legs, I have to increase the gains on the motors, which increases the power draw. And in some sense, this is the best possible situation to be in, because I can change the stiffness. And since there's no gearbox, the robot can use the position offset of its leg to actually sense what's happening at the toe. So I get not only the ability to make morphological changes, but also some sensing information through my actuator. But in another sense, it's not very good at all, because I can't actually store potential energy in my leg spring without taking energy from the battery to do it. Um, there are some other actuation methods that people are coming up with for soft robots, and I'm really hoping that some high-density actuators in that class will be widely available soon so that researchers can start using them for all kinds of interesting applications. Can you briefly explain relevant research of yours to the concept of embodied intelligence? My dissertation work is on a direct drive robot jumping on sand. Now, the great thing about direct drive legs is that because they don't have gearboxes, if you push on the end effector, the motors can see that perturbation and you can use the whole leg as a force sensor. This is really good if your robot is supposed to run around in the desert mapping how easily the ground erodes in different locations. But the bad thing about direct drive motors is that they use a lot more energy than motors with gearboxes. And this problem only gets worse when you're running on a highly dissipative substrate like sand. So I developed a reactive controller that takes in how quickly the robot's foot sinks into the sand and then uses that to slow down how quickly the leg extends. Um, the overall effect of this is to reduce how much energy the robot loses to the ground during a single step. So I related this dissertation work to James Gibson's concept of an affordance in a collaboration with a philosopher also at University of Pennsylvania named Lisa Meraki. An affordance is an opportunity for action for a specific agent in a specific environment. So in this case, the affordance was locomotion. Um, the controller that reduces energetic cost of transport increases the robot's capability to exploit that opportunity for action in this environment with the highly dissipative sand. I think it's really important to think about affordances when we think about embodied intelligence because it helps us think effectively about how the body of the robot interacts with its environment and how we can use that to achieve our goals. Were there any directions toward embodied intelligence that you thought would work out very well, but empirical results proved otherwise? I'm early enough in my career that I haven't yet had the opportunity to uh, come up with grand theories that are risky and don't turn out the way that I expect. Um, I'm more in the stage of trying to understand why the things that I'm doing that are working are working well and relating that to the theory that I see in cognitive science um, and by other embodied intelligence researchers in robotics. Any advice for students? early career researchers interested in research on embodied intelligence? Don't be afraid to reach out to psychologists, neuroscientists, philosophers, or anyone else who's studied 
embodied intelligence, but isn't in your field, even if they're very far afield from your field. Um, if this is something that you're really interested in, these conversations and collaborations will inspire you towards new robotics research projects. And those research projects will be more aligned with your own goals um, if one of your goals is asking questions about embodiment. Thinking through these questions really carefully with experts who are coming from a different perspective um, and who are used to thinking about these problems in more contexts than just robotics research can be really, really helpful for narrowing down what's, um, what's interesting to you about those questions and how you can ask them using the tools that you have available as a roboticist. Thanks, Sonia, for sharing your thoughts. Looking forward to your presentation at the workshop. Also, thanks to Dr. Marva Aldvini for preparing the questions.